every time they had anything done, hey, my partner's going to get a blood pressure. Hey, my partner's going to talk to you for a second. Mm. Always refer to me as their partner. You remember that? Yeah, always. And I do that now because it really felt as like I'm here with them. I'm not here. It's not them and me. Yep. It's not, hey, this guy, he's not with us, you know? <laughs> On that first call, I think the moment that my eyes really widened to uh, what was going on and that transition from this is really cool to this is real life was when I walked through that door and I saw the scene kind of unfolding of that cardiac arrest. As I stepped foot in the door, the firefighters yelled clear and hit shock. It was fun to think back because mm-hmm. I hadn't thought about those two people in years it was nice to think back and kind of think about some of the things that they did that are still things that I make an active choice to try to mirror. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger, your host. And this episode is a response to request from listeners who said they were craving an episode like we made in the first year of Medic Mindset. They wanted to hear from everyday medics. So I doubled down on the suggestion Actually, I I tripled down on the suggestion by interviewing three medics about one topic. In my teens, when I had a crush, I'd make a mixtape. Now, I make a mixtape for my current infatuation, the brains of medics like you. I started the conversation with these three paramedics with one question. What do you remember about your first ride-along? Thanks for indulging us as we walk down that memory lane, and maybe it'll invite you to do the same. I arranged the mixtape to play the stories of the guests in the order in which I talked to them. The first one, he did his write-out in Texas, the second in North Carolina, and the last guest, she did her write-out in Oregon. Please enjoy the longest episode to date, and the first in the new mixtape series. Do you remember your first write-out? I don't remember my first write-out. My theory is that it was just because there was a lot going on. I had just turned 18. I was in this EMT course. First day, instructor's like, hey, just so you know, this is a really, really, really demanding course. If you're taking other courses right now, it's going to be very challenging with the stuff that you have to learn. And you have to be places now, like your clinicals. That scared me. So right off the bat, stress, boom. Mm. Whenever I was going through the course, there was so much information that was brand new to me. Like, and I tell, I tell a lot of students that write out with me, like, hey, you know, if you don't get it right now, it's okay. It's not that it's not going to come because I didn't get it either. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. Like, I thought <laughs> your lungs were in your stomach. That's why I tell a lot of my students, like, yeah. I couldn't tell you. I, I, I knew your lungs were in your stomach and your heart was on the left side of your chest because that's where you say the pledge at that's all i knew mm-hmm. now i'm a paramedic like i know a whole lot more than that you know like yeah. man sometimes they come in the door and they're so overwhelmed and i'm like man I, I remember i remember that feeling i don't remember my first ride outs because a lot of it was brand new to me i couldn't attach any meaning to anything and i was just observing i just remember the people i just remember everyone being nice to me i don't remember remember anyone being rude or annoyed that I was there. I also tried to be out of the way, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't remember my first write-outs. So tell me about the first write-out you remember. That one was a BLS write-out only. Like, I was only expected to do BLS things, and 
I walk in the door. I'm 19 now, right? I walk in the door because it's my first clinical of the second semester of my paramedic school. Can we talk about that real quick? Yeah. Sometimes getting in the door is not easy. Like no, it, no, no. Yeah, you wait in your car, you're chilling, and you're like, oh, my God. Like, No, but literally, like, how do I go in? Do I go th- in through the bay? Do I, not, do I have to knock on the door because it's locked? Do I ring the doorbell? Like, it's a... It's actually a process to get into some EMS stations. Yeah. There's a gate sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do re- I do remember. I didn't have a car. I was still living at home. The crew change was at uh, 6 o'clock. That meant you had to be there at 5.30. No earlier. You couldn't be late, right? You're late. You're out. <sighs> done. EMT school is done for you, you know? So that meant I had to wake up at 4.30, get ready, have everything ironed, and then... I had to be like, hey, mom or dad, uh, can y'all drop me off at the CMS station? And so they would wake up, too, and go drop me off. And Or no, no, no. Well, they would wait, right? Because uh, they might be on a call. I can't get in. I'm just going to be standing outside in front of the EMS station, right? Yeah. Uh, and so they would wait. Would you wave to them? Or did they just see you go in? No, it was, it was just so weird because, like, I'm like, man... I'm just so nervous. I'd just be like, yeah, I think, or we would see the ambulance back in. I'm like, okay, yeah. they're here. Yeah. I can go in now. Right. If I saw the ambulance in the bay, because a lot of bays have that, mm-hmm. those windows. Um, I'm like, okay, you can drop me off. I'll go. Yeah. I'll go knock. Mm-hmm. But it is a process. It's yeah. a process. Yeah, it is. There's a barrier there. It's not like walking into an environment where it's obviously welcoming. It, it's actually intended to not let just random people walk in. It's definitely intimidating. As I'm walking in, the crew's already there. That's supposed to be relieving the crew. They introduce themselves to me. They're like, your bed's over here. The fridge is here. Boop, boop, boop. We get a call, you know? Or It was not like boop, boop, boop. It was like, doo, doo, doo. <laughs> we get a call. I knew the drill. I was like, all right, hop in in the back, you know, put my seatbelt on, put the headset on, and listen to whatever's going to happen. We run this call. It's whatever. We go to the hospital, and the first call that stood out to me from that shift was a cardiac arrest, and it was like around noontime. Mm-hmm. And on the way there, they're telling me on the headset, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we get there before the fire department, you're going to do compressions, you know, because we got stuff we got to do. The department I was riding it out with, they did a pit crew, which is everyone has a job. That's their one job. I'm allowed to do BLS stuff, and compressions is definitely in my little toolbox. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, 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 I'm going to do compressions. Yeah, this is a, I get to do something because all through EMT school, I didn't run anything real, like, really, like, come and write home about, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. and other people did, and they're like, yeah, yeah, we were in this multi vehicle collision or we did this cardiac arrest or, yeah, I didn't have any of that. So in my head, I'm thinking, oh, awesome. Like, I bet my heart rate was up and I was just like ready. I was ready to go. So I hop down, I start carrying all these bags and, they're like, hey, hey, you, you know, you can put that on the stretcher, you know. They were very efficient. They were very efficient. I'm over here, like, trying to help be helpful, open doors, close doors, you know, like, yeah. you know. Yeah. So we show up to this house, and it's sketchy. It's sketchy. And the cops are like, yeah, come this way. That front door's uh, broken, or you can't come through the front door. Like, mm. it, was a, like it was like a crack house. Like, uh-huh. we're, like, walking, like, uh, sideways, kind of trying to bring the stretcher in. We got all these bags, and... The house is right up against the fence, and we're walking to the back. So we get to the back door. Fire's already there doing compressions. The guy's uh, using the bag, the BVM. And I'm thinking, like, damn it, maybe they'll let me let me have a turn. 
<laughs> one of the paramedics is like, hey, go up there to the uh, airway and help him bag. And I'm thinking, like, as I'm walking up there, like, all right, EC clamp, EC clamp. Like, I got this shit, you know, like, let's go. <laughs> EC clamp. And the firefighter was like, hey, um, I'm going to make the seal. You just squeeze every time that light goes off. I was like, all right, cool. I was not planning for that, but all right, <laughs> we can do this. Light, squeeze, you know, and then mm-hmm. squeeze. And I'm like. That feels like the perfect first thing to do, like on an early ride out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, you got one job. Look at that light. Every time you see the light, squeeze, all right? <laughs> we'll tell you if anything changes. Yeah. And so I'm just like, I'm just staring at this red little light, like, all right, come on. Boom. You know, I was like, I'm on it. Playing a video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I hear the drill go, and you know, that scene was chaotic. Like, so we get in, we're in the middle of this like living room. Paint is like all fucked up on the walls. And like, I'm looking around, just like looking at the light squeeze. And I like look around real quick, just like because you're so tunnel vision, right? And <laughs> there's this guy in the background with a stethoscope, uh, like a polo on, mm-hmm. no pants. <clears throat> yeah. Wait, wait, say that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you heard. So. <laughs> Wait, he, he was wearing he, a stethoscope. Yeah. But no pants. He had a polo on too. Like a like a t shirt polo. He had no pants on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why did he have a stethoscope? Because he's like he's like, I'm a I'm an army medic. I'm an army medic. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. But he had no pants on, like Well, he maybe was just chilling at house at the house. Uh <laughs> I don't think the house was his either. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I really don't know. But um and I'm thinking like, what's he gonna do with that stethoscope? You know, like <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm looking at this light breathing uh they get the io in and the story was like yeah she was down she collapsed and she was down for maybe five minutes he called it um right when she collapsed that was the story that that, that was the story i remember i mean these medics that i was with I was, they had some experience right so they're mm-hmm. like uh, all right we're gonna go ahead and uh give narcan right I didn't know what that. Oh yeah, I didn't know what Narcan was. I was like, oh, I know that drug. Mm-hmm. Like heard that. That's like, yeah. that's for some kind of drug. That's all I knew. But I'm over here staring at this light, like just the light squeeze. Right. Mm-hmm. That's my job. They're doing their stuff down at the legs. Compressions are happening. Tunnel vision on this light, and all of a sudden, like this arm comes up, like mm, <laughs> right, and it's like and grabs my hand. Oh shit! Like, oh my god. It was scary. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm just looking at this light and I'm like, all right, squeeze, <laughs> squeeze, you know? And then all of a sudden, and then, and then she grabs, it was like, like straight zombie shit. Like, yeah. I was like, uh, guys, guys. <laughs> and they're like, all right, uh, check, check pulses. I was like, no, no, I think she's alive. I think she's alive. She's like, my leg, my leg. She's just complaining about her leg. It's like, I owe, right? <gasps> oh, yeah. Dang. Yeah my leg my leg the medics are like all right guys let's um go ahead and get her on backboard blah 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 and they get her in the truck and we chill and we're talking to her like hey what's going on she's like my leg hurts my leg and that's all she's talking about and we go to the hospital and i'm like i just had a dead lady grab my hand well i was gonna say i gotta assume she was pulseless if she was letting them do compressions yeah so you had a resuscitation on your first ride out yeah i was talking to them right (laughs) so and i was like hey do you do you think she was dead or you think she was just like uh-huh. So did y'all talk about the call after? Yeah. Where? Uh probably on the way on the headset. So I had the headset on and we're driving back. And you talked about the call and the patient, but did they talk about how you did or 
good job squeezing the bag when the thing lit up. <laughs> no, I think I was just mostly asking them questions like, hey, mm-hmm. um, what's Narcan? Yeah, you yeah. were collecting info. Yeah, like what's Narcan? Does it usually work like that? Mm-hmm. And over the course of the 24 hours, did you feel like you developed a relationship with them where they started like volunteering info and sharing and they were open? Or was it kind of like you're, you know how the classic write out sometimes you imagine like the student just kind of being put in the corner and doesn't become part of the team? Yeah, no, there was a lot more conversation happening. But I think it's because they saw that I was eager to learn. Mm-hmm. And I kept asking questions like, they were like annoying questions. I was like, hey, like, that's my first dead person I've ever seen. Does it normally work that well? You know, like, yeah, because I think my understanding at that point was like CPR doesn't really save lives. It's the, it's the defibrillation, the intervention afterward. Like mm-hmm. CPR keeps them going. Yeah. Until you can do yeah. something, you know. Yeah. Or, so you were really kind of pinging them with questions. Yeah, yeah. Because that. Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. And so I think once they realized, like, oh, like, he's not here just to, like, observe. He kind of... And I had learned that from those other volunteer shifts that I did. So the shifts that I did in between EMT school and paramedic school, I rode along with uh, the ambulance that was closest to my parents' house. And they let me just observe. And it was cool because, like, I get to observe the mentoring part of it. It was the two paramedics on. Then they had a third paramedic that, that was a new hire. They were training. Then it was me. But I got to see the questions that he was asking. Mm-hmm. Whenever he would ask questions to them or they would have conversations, I was like, that's a really good way of asking a question. Or I didn't even mm-hmm. think of asking that. Or So it kind of made me think in a certain way, like, this is good information. It's almost like you had a role model of how to be a learner. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You got to watch this medic being an active learner it sounds like they must have done it right or done it well yeah it was really it was really a good experience the medics there they they were very polite they were very nice everyone was so nice to me they would always ask me if i had any questions of course like i don't have any questions like after you just talked to this other paramedic about the call i got to see how how they interacted and what what they stressed what was important you know and so let me ask you this did the ride out the 24-hour one the one you did the cardiac arrest on were the interactions with you with the medics similar to the interactions in what ways was it different and similar no i I would say it was very similar because now i i was still nervous to be there but i wasn't nervous to ask questions i guess they saw that they weren't dumb questions like People say that there's no dumb question, but like, come on, like, well, questions give you a view into how much somebody knows, yeah, and so or where their starting place, yeah, is. yeah, yeah, right. So they saw that I really didn't know a lot, I really didn't know a lot, but I knew enough to, to, I needed that next step, that next cobblestone to dr- like jump on and c- continue my thought process. And so there's thinking about the patients and the medicine and the differential and all that, but then there's this whole piece of your performance like how am i doing on the calls right so it's really easy to talk about the case we're just talking about this other person the patient like Mm -hmm. their condition academically but then to seek and get feedback about how you performed on the call did that go on Mm -mm. no and i think it's mostly because they weren't trainers Uh uh-huh now that you mentioned it that's where it was different because whenever i was just observing as a volunteer in between semesters there was a 
a trainer who had experience training, like mm-hmm. teaching. Yep. And then there was a learner. Right. When I wrote out, it was two paramedics. Right. That weren't trained educators. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. There's medics. Yeah. They didn't have that skill of teaching. Mm-hmm. They had the skill of conversation. They can answer a question. Yeah. But to kind of lead you along a, a thought process, mm-hmm. that didn't happen. Or to give you hard feedback. Like on a call, they asked you to do something and they saw something that needed correction. Were, was any of that happening? Nope. Nope. And I think it's it's because they felt it wasn't really their place. Unless I did something really wrong. But usually what happens, from my experience now, is you have like three types of people. You have that student that comes and is just like, I'm here to observe. And that's what they're comfortable with. And then you have to try to get them to like, all right, let's get a blood pressure. Let's go ahead and get a BGL. Show me your head to toe assessment, you know. You got to kind of like... Lead them along. Like, what else do you want to do? What else do the patient needs? If you don't interact with them, they'll be in a corner. There's another one that's gun ho Like, let's do this. But they just don't have the knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. They're getting blood pressures all crazy. Or they're like, just <laughs> like. But they're like. They're into it. Yeah. They're. Yeah. Yeah. They're into it. And then you have that third one that. They're into it, and they know, uh, they have a grasp of like, all right, I know my assessment has to go this way, and then they're really refining their skill. Those are very, very rare, very especially in, in EMT school. Yeah. This is very rare to have someone like, all right, let me go ahead and work on my assessment and delegate. Mm-hmm. Man, I've had like maybe a two of those, and I'm like, where did you come from? What did you do before? Mm-hmm. And I was like, damn, like that's good. I, I would say the most um experience i have is the the learner who you have to kind of push along like wallflower if you yeah, will yeah and you have to kind of bring them in you know like let's bring them in let's get you comfortable with talking to people that are that you don't know yeah and assessing people like which one were you on on the 24 hour ride out do you think i think i was definitely wallflower until after emt school mm-hmm. and then i had that semester where i got to observe learning happening mm-hmm and I have some knowledge. And I think whenever I got to see as a wallflower actual medicine happening, I knew I was only going to get out of it as much as I wanted. So I made sure to ask questions. If I was curious about something, you know, write it down or something. So that way we could talk about it later or just look it up. And so I think on my 24, <laughs> I think I might, I was definitely not really well uh, doing well in my assessment. But I, I I was working on it. So I was like, hey, can I work on like running a call and you see me drowning, just jump in. But I need to get, I need to get used to talking and asking questions and working, yeah. working so you, in my you brain. You told them yeah, what yeah, you yeah. wanted to do. Yeah. And so I think once they realized like, hey, this is what I'm here for. They're like, oh, OK, we're going to we're going to go ahead and um, we'll help you out. Yeah. But they weren't like, they weren't teachers. Right. They weren't trainers. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very memorable and like good experience because i have worked with them since mm-hmm. on the other end like we're partners now yeah i remember i told one guy i was like hey you remember that um you were my first like 24 hour hour ride out he's like oh yeah mm. and he, he i told him i was like yeah um you and this other guy and i'm like oh yeah that was wow that was a long time ago i told him i was like 
that was a great write out, man. I know you're not a teacher in this aspect, but man, that was that was fun. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot, and I got to see how they worked as partners. Like I, I got to see a partnership. Whenever I was on those observer writeouts where there was a captain or a trainer and a, a new hire, the focus was on let's get this new hire ready. So his regular partner was in the back doing just like paperwork, documenting, right? Mm-hmm. While they worked on the medicine aspect. Right. It takes a while to build that second nature of, I know what he wants and I'm going to get it for him. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to ask her. I know this thought process, this thought line that he's going down, I'm going to have it ready. Like I'm, I already know where he's going and you didn't get to see that because this person's, so the learner is only worried about learning and like trying to prove like, hey, I can do this job. Mm-hmm. But he didn't have that anticipation of what did my partner need? Right. And so on the 24, I got to see that between two partners, that regular partners. That, yeah. Yeah. And they was like, it was smooth. It was so mm-hmm. smooth. They knew what had to get done. And I got to see that in the anticipation of that. They just get over uh, um, a time of being partners, you know, mm-hmm. I told both of them. I was like, man, I, I'm, I'm never going to forget that right out, you know, because yeah. I've worked with each one separately since. And I'm like, man, you know, you're on like my very first writer, like, I, you know, at the station. He's like, oh, yeah, man, I do remember that. He's like, what did we run that day? I was like, oh, we ran like the cardiac arrest. He's like, okay, what else? I was like, oh, yeah, we ran this lady that got that pushed out a car on a highway. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I do remember that. Mm-hmm. And so that was what was also cra- <laughs> crazy was. I'm here six years later, their partner as a paramedic, and they remember those calls like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that motel, I was like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, that motel. Can you verbalize or, or kind of make tangible specific things they did to make it fun? Or when you said it was a great shift, obviously the calls were good. That helps, right? Mm-hmm. Not a ton of downtime at the station and all that. Right. The calls are good. But I'm looking for like specific things. Like when you walked in, did they address you and like make eye contact and welcome you or include you in like the food process? Like the family feel like you're part of this tribe? Man, that's a good question. Let me think. Well, it taps into the sense of belonging. And there are things we can do as preceptors to like make sure people know you belong here. And I think some preceptors think, well, we're not sure if they belong yet. They've got to prove it, right? Yeah. No. Damn, I don't know. It's hard because, like, I've been on the other side of that. Like, yeah. I've, I've spent more time on this side of it yep. than that side of mm-hmm. it. So it's hard to tap back in. But I do remember them including me. I Yeah, I do remember them including me. The calls helped, but I think the conversation helped. They asked where I was from. They wanted to know who, who I was. We didn't have a lot of downtime. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. Maybe but, that's key. You're working when, together. Yeah. Whenever we did run like basic stuff, they were like, hey, you said you want to work on your assessment or, hey, did you know that we could splint this way? Let me show you this knot. Um, I remember my first ride out and walking in and we checked the truck and they included me. I remember the, the medic showed me every single med. It was an EMT school, but he showed me every single med and what the indication was for every med. And it's back to that, like, the language. Like, I I totally didn't absorb any of that. But what I absorbed was, oh, you think I'm worth this time. 
Like you could be in the station prepping food. You could be doing stuff for you, but you're doing this for me. So it communicated that I was worth it. That meant a lot to me. I was like, oh, you're going through every single one of these with me right now. And then we went in the station. It, I think it was Sunday. And we had a big Sunday paper. Um, this is before the internet. Just kidding. It wasn't before the internet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had a big Sunday paper. And they were reading the paper and talking about stuff they were reading. And I was just sitting there with them. And it was like we had this little moment of being together. I was literally at, sitting at the table with them. Yeah, at the hospital. They'd be like, hey... You know, are you hungry? This is where we kind of try to eat because we have a little break. We a guaranteed break that. Yeah. Use the restroom now. We have a uh, try to eat something because we're going to get another call. Mm. And that's just the nature of it. You're, you're, he's like, we're going to get another call. And it, it happened. We we yeah. were busy that shift. Mm-hmm. Did we, you sleep? Yeah. We got like an hour or two of sleep because I remember I was like, do I sleep with my boots on? Do I sleep with my uniform on? I don't know. How'd you figure it out? I didn't. I took my boots off and I took my, I had an undershirt on. I took the uniform off and hung it. We get that call. I put my boots on and like one of the medics looks at me like, what the hell is this dude doing? Like he's going to get dressed, going to the closet, get his uniform. Oh, you hung it in the closet. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was like right on, like on the outside of the okay. closet. Like yeah. he's like, what the hell does guy, what the, he's like, Hey man, we're going to be in a truck. I was like, Oh fuck. You know, then I was like, okay, we don't have that much time. We like mm. my underestimated time was going to take to put my boots on and my shirt on. Yeah. I just learned as I went, right? Like you pick up things that yeah. they're doing. I just remember being tired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember being tired. Do you remember leaving and saying goodbye? I don't remember my goodbye at mine right out. All I remember was we were over an hour. My mom's right in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. She has to get to work. I got to get home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There had to have been paperwork that they signed. Yeah. There was. There was. There was paperwork. I do remember that. You're right. (laughs) You're definitely right. Right. Because I was like, hey, um... But they didn't sign at the end of the shift. They signed it like maybe an hour or two. They're like, hey, we're already coming to the end. You got paperwork? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Filled it out. And that was that. And then I got out of there. I just remember being so tired. I had never been up for 24 hours like that. You keep talking about the medics like they signed it. But reality is probably one of them signed it. Can you separate them in your mind? Or was it kind of fluid? They were just kind of like one team? Or was there one that you kind of bonded with more or that took more of the role of teaching? I think it was more of a team because they were both trying to include me into things, right? Because they would switch off every call. Yeah. And I think it was more of a team because I don't know. I don't remember who signed it. Like, yeah. I I just remember it being them yeah. together. You're right. I, I put them together and they just had it down. They had it down. I think that also helped me because I was so nervous. I was there and I'm thinking, like, I got to do good. It didn't really matter to them. I don't think it did. I don't think it. I don't think they cared. But... They didn't uh, care about what? Me doing well. Oh, yeah. Right? They didn't care. Oh, every time they had anything done, hey, my partner's going to get a blood pressure. Hey, my partner's going to talk to you for a second. Mm. Always refer to me as their partner. You remember that? Yeah, always. And I and I do that now because it really felt as like I'm here with them. I'm not here. It's not them and me. Yep. It's not, hey, this guy, he's not with us, you know. <laughs> you know, he's just in here. <laughs> No, it really made me feel with them. <laughs> I think there's another subtext to your story, too, and that is that you still know these medics that you did the ride out with. And that's 
a real common theme I've noticed in EMS is that it's a small world. And so these relationships kind of circle back around and you meet them in a different stage in your career if you stay in EMS, especially if you stay in the same location that you went to school. So as you were telling these medics, hey, I did a ride out with you. If a, if a medic told me that and they're like, yeah, I did a ride out with you. And I know that was like 10 years ago. I'm thinking to myself, oh God, did I like, was I, was I nice to them? Did I t- treat them with respect? Like, was it a tough shift? And I was like, it wasn't attentive to them. There's always this overlap. The students, you're going to meet them again, mm-hmm. potentially. Um, so it's going to, the relationship starts when they're a student, but later they might be your, your partner. You're, yeah. And that's happened to me. And that thought process happens exactly how you said it. It's like, hey, um, I rode out with you as an EMT basic. I'm like, oh, shit. Was where? it good? Yeah. I was like, where? They're like, oh, yeah, we were downtown. I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, how was it? You know? Oh, man, you were great, man. This was fun. It was. I was like, okay, cool. You know? Like, yeah, especially like when they tell That's usually what I, how I ask them. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. We, we've met before. First off, I feel real shitty because I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, man. I don't remember your name. Yeah. Like, yeah, no, we were, uh, yeah, we were, we were downtown, and it was fun, man. We had a lot of fun, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, you learn anything? He's like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> you know, that, we we got it done. You know, yeah. But <laughs> but I, it is a little, yeah. It's just like a little, like, you know. Like, <laughs> Because now you're talking to a peer that knows everything and knows how you should have acted. Uh-huh. You're like, was I? Was I? Mm-hmm. Was I good? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this has been fun. Thank you for telling me about your first shift, the first one you remember. I think it's a neat part of the story that you don't have any memory of your EMT, your rideouts in EMT school. Yeah, it's a it's a blank right there. Yeah, and I th- I think I I think that might have something to do with like how you said that. I, I said that, that before we were recording. Oh, <laughs> so oh, okay. The 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 language, right? I didn't have mm-hmm. the EM, EMS language in my brain, right? Mm-hmm. So I was just looking. I was just observing. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't communicate. Just meaningless yeah. info mm-hmm. that you're watching. I didn't know how to categorize it in my brain. Yeah. All right. So this is where you drop the beat and like <laughs> I go off the dome. I don't know what you just said. Go off oh, the dome. <laughs> you know, like just freestyle. Um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I can go acapella. Let's hear it. No, no, I'm terrible. No. <laughs> hey guys, popping in here just for a moment to thank iSimulate for supporting the podcast. One of my favorite bits of information about them is how iSimulate came to exist. Two medical educators, Peter Mackay, an intensive care paramedic, and Dr. Anthony Lewis, an anesthetist, came together and teaching an advanced life support course. And they realized they both had similar challenges in the classroom. From their collaboration, a solution was born. It's a solution I currently use in my own classroom. For more information, go to medicmindset.com for the show notes, where I will link to iSimulate. Now, here's our next guest. The system that I rode with, they did system status management. So you were in an ambulance for 12 hours. It was So were they in the front and you were in the back? Yes, but it was a dual cab ambulance. So I had that, I still had that face-to-face dynamic with them. Did you meet them at a station? No. So they have a a centralized warehouse and you show up and your truck is pre-prepped, ready to go for you. Mm. And then you go to uh, staging. You walk into this building. How do you find your crew? I believe I found one of the logistics crew members and said, hey, I'm here for a ride out. 
and they directed me to one of the ambulance crews, and I believe that was the wrong ambulance crew, Uh and then they pointed me in the right direction from there. You walked up to them? Nervously, very nervously, yeah, Mm -hmm. and uh, introduced myself. They basically gave me a brief rundown of what would happen for the shift, but we were actually cut short because we were dispatched to our first call. So that does happen. You, you don't have the chance to. Yeah, sit, yeah. There the was briefing. not there was not that opportunity for open dialogue. They didn't get to show me the back of the ambulance. Um, it was it was very brief. Okay, so you exchange names and then you go on a call. Are you riding in the back seat on back the way seat. to the call? Yeah, the back seat. You're totally like their kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A it's like bit. two parents and a kid, kind of looking over their shoulders, looking at the dispatch notes. <laughs> Obviously, everything was brand new and foreign to me. I had no idea what I was looking at. I didn't know what any of the equipment was. Um, I was trying to listen to the radio, but all of that language was so foreign that it just, it, you know, it made no sense at that point. Do you remember the first call? Yeah, it was a cardiac arrest. What? Yeah. The dispatch notes basically said that he had walked into his house uh, after gardening, clutched his chest, sounded like typical Levine sign, and collapsed in front of his wife. So you're not yet an EMT? Nope. But you know how to do CPR? Barely. Uh, I took a 20-day expedited EMT basic course, so I was like 10 days into school. I assume the crew is two medics. Uh, It was a medic and EMT. Does either one of them tell you what to do? Uh, I remember them giving me some brief instruction, just basically saying like, hey, this is is where we're going. This is what's going to happen. They told me that they didn't expect me to, you know, jump right in, but I was definitely welcome to do chest compressions and, and try to get involved as much as I could. What did you do? A lot of chest compressions. Yeah. Did you guys get ROSC? Did you transport? Uh, we didn't get ROSC from what I remember, which I didn't truly understand at that time just because I was so new and I didn't really know a lot of what the paramedic was doing just because it was so out of my realm. Yeah. It was a tough call. She was unable to successfully innovate the patient, unable to mm. successfully drop a superglottic airway device. The patient was vomiting, very complicated cardiac arrest, uh, yeah. lots of things going on, lots of shockable rhythms. Ugh. So pretty complicated, and unfortunately, he didn't make it. Man, so I'm thinking so compassionately for that medic that they've got student. Yeah. They've got that. Mm-hmm. Did, was there family there or anything? There was family. Oh. The wife was there. Um, we learned that the Two children who were both college-aged were away and actually supposed to return for summer break or something like that, like that next weekend. So mm-hmm. certainly an emotional call. We think about the medics, and when the students come back to me, and they mm-hmm. tell me about their ride out and how much attention the medic did or didn't give them. Right. Think about that call. Look what we're asking of that medic. And I actually did learn this was her first shift as an in-charge paramedic. So... She was brand new in that role. She had a student with her. She had an EMT partner. And I believe the EMT partner was only about six months into his career as well. So fairly inexperienced crew, at least in regard to their current, you know, their current roles. And you think about stress, that we get into distress when our demands exceed our resources. Right. And that's just, um, she couldn't begin to try to meet everyone's needs. Exactly. And yeah. if I'm her. The student's getting pretty low priority as far as of meeting needs. Um, and in hindsight, she, I mean, she really did do a great job of letting mm-hmm. me take an active role in that call. She could mm-hmm. have pushed me aside and yep. and worried about her own, the things that she needed to get done. But she did do a good job of, of keeping me involved and kind of telling me what was going on as it, as it occurred. It's so, amazing, right? Yeah. I, I was pretty impressed with, 
with uh, her ability to do that. And how long were you there? We worked it for right at like 50 minutes. I believe we stayed about 30 minutes after that because she stayed around to console the family. She actually called both children and explained what just happened because the wife was, you know, inconsolable at that point. And you were just watching all that? I was, yeah. That's intense. Yeah. Had you seen cardiac arrest? Had you seen death? I had never seen anything like that. I was a business major. I was in my last year of undergrad. I wasn't even thinking that I wanted to be an EMT, let alone a paramedic at the time. So this was just something that I took out of interest, and I never expected to see anything like that. So it was a major eye-opener and a, and a big culture shock. And so for the remainder of the shift, did y'all keep running calls? Were you busy? We were busy, yeah. You are busy. Yeah, and I can't tell you too many details about the other calls because mm-hmm. I think I was so in my head and mm-hmm. so wrapped up about that call and just trying to understand everything that had just unfolded. So I, I, I remember a couple of the other calls, but those details are you know, are, are definitely not as vivid as that first call. And at the time, you're in EMT school. So you're Correct. Not, you know, a paramedic student, I would ask you like, oh, you're probably kind of attaching to the paramedic, but as right. an EMT student, yeah. did you find that you attached to one more than the other or had more interaction with one more than the other? Yeah, I did. I did tend to communicate with the EMT a little bit more. He was a little bit more conversive than the paramedic just because I think she had so much on her mind. Yeah. So he was definitely a little bit more willing to to converse and open up about his experiences and things like that. Yeah, the whole idea of a, of a paramedic at that point was just completely foreign to me. And it wasn't yet a goal? It wasn't, no, not mm-hmm. at all. He was just more talkative than she was? He was, yeah. And I remember after that call, she actually had a supervisor meet her at uh, one of our staging posts because she basically needed the debriefing after that call. So I, I think they sat in their supervisor vehicle for probably an hour, which was, I'm sure, extremely beneficial for her after... After having such a you know a high stress call on her first day as a lead medic, that conversation was pretty far removed from myself and the the EMT partner. Yeah, what do you think about that? Um, I think it would have been beneficial to be involved in that, just because I was obviously having a lot of feelings of my own, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't really know what to feel or how to feel. And mm-hmm. um, it would have been nice to kind of, if nothing else, at least hear her talk about her experience and um, maybe understand like. The humility that she was feeling because I was obviously feeling a lot of those same things as well. Yeah, as an educator, it's like, man, I'd love for my student to just get to see someone else process it. Yeah. Much yeah. less the benefits of you helping yourself process too. Right. That feels like a missed opportunity. Yeah, a little bit. And I don't blame her at all. She had so much yeah. going on um, on her own plate. So yeah, I certainly don't blame her. But in hindsight, I think it would have been beneficial. I guess you think about pros and cons. Like, she really is the one, in my mind, when you tell me that scene, I'm like, ooh, that seems the most distressing to her because she's got all these people to care for. Yeah. Like, as the leader. So then it's like, okay, now it's your turn. We are going to take care of you. Right. Yeah. They actually told me that it was okay to sleep in the back of the cab in between calls, which I know a lot of crews and some departments have, you know, specific guidelines that say that students can't sleep, especially if it's a 12-hour shift. But after that call, I think it it was such an adrenaline dump and I was so exhausted and had so many thoughts running through my mind, being able to just kind of rest my head even for 20 minutes between calls um, was so helpful. And I think really, really kind of them to, to see that I needed that. That is kind. Yeah. Because they could have humane. Yeah. They could have just as easily said, you can't sleep. You're not allowed to lay your head down. You've got to be up. We're up. Very humane of them. Yeah. And you know, 
the introverted student, which I was, and it sounds like you were Absolutely. too, they need that quiet. They oh, need yeah. the space and the, they need a second. We often like teach that they should be debriefing them and don't miss these learning opportunities. But right. especially like the analytical kind of introverted brain needs, just give them a second. I remember being at the ER, doing rotations in the ER and going in the bathroom just to get a second. Let me just sit here for a second. Exactly. And get away from the stimulus. That moment of silence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you need that as a student. As an EMT student, you said you didn't really know anything. Did you know questions to ask? Did you ask questions? You know, I think I was pretty silent, honestly. I wasn't, again, I wasn't really sure what to think or or how to feel. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to seem too vulnerable. And I don't know that I was even feeling that vulnerable just yet. I think it took me at least the duration of that shift to truly understand whether I had any emotion to begin with and what those emotions were. Yeah. So I don't think it was until after I kind of got home and had that, that time to myself where I really was able to reflect on what just happened and mm-hmm. um, kind of get in touch with my own feelings. I have two thoughts about that. The first is, and you can think about it for a second. The first question is, did anybody, don't answer yet, did anybody <laughs> circle back around to you? And did you ever have a second or like a did anybody circle back around to you to have a conversation about that call and then now i'm thinking about when i precept students in the er and we have a cardiac arrest mm-hmm. i forget that they may have not seen that before right so yeah. i'm teaching about like look how they switch the compressors they're using this metronome or look how the the you know lead clinician is talking to other clinicians about what they think's going on and i'm pointing out things but sometimes i forget to step away from the academics and talk about what it is like for them to see right. that. Because mostly I'm thinking about it intellectually, not too emotionally. Because we're not we're not at their home. We're not in charge yeah. of consoling family. It really is kind of sterile in the hospital. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a point where, you know, in your career you learn to kind of divide yourself or or separate so. yourself from from those emotions. Um, I think so. especially on a call like a cardiac arrest that you've experienced so many times over and over again. So it's like you begin to think about it technically. Much more analytically. Mm-hmm. So you're reminding me that I need to touch base with my students <laughs> about that. And did anyone do that for you? Um, no, unfortunately. And I think that's the difficulty, especially with an EMT ride along. That was my only ride along for that course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never really got to communicate with that crew again. Yeah. And I, I don't know that my teachers at any point really reached out and said, hey, are you okay? Or anything like that. Or if they even knew that you ran that call. Right. Yeah. I'm sure it was written down on a piece of paper somewhere or in exactly. FISTAP or whatever. Yeah. But unless I ask, I don't know what call types right. they're running. It's, you know, it's interesting. I remember on the on the way to that call, you know, my first thought was selfish. And it was, this is awesome. I'm going to a cardiac arrest. I'm going to get to go back to class and yep. essentially brag to my classmates, hey, I got a cardiac arrest on my first ride along, on my first call mm-hmm. of my first ride along. This is great. And then obviously after that call, when those emotions set in, it kind of, that switch kind of flipped and it was more... I just saw something very real and something very graphic and I'm not quite sure how to cope with that. And I didn't know how to communicate with other people about what I just experienced. So it was definitely a sobering experience. For the remainder of the shift, I'm curious if you were getting feedback along the way. So I'm curious if you were, if it was just an observation ride or if you were given the opportunity to try to do something like get a blood pressure even. And if anybody was telling you how you did for your performance. They did allow me to take blood pressures. They did allow me to ask some sample history. I did ask for feedback because I did truly want that constructive criticism. What did you I wanted, say? 
typically after the call, I would just approach them and say, hey, is there anything I could do better? Is there anything that you witnessed in my assessment or or my diagnostics that I could approve upon? You were saying diagnostics as an EMT student? Well, yeah, because you want to pull out all the fancy terms, right? I mean, you you want to use the lingo so you sound smart. <laughs> I probably didn't use those words in the proper way, but yeah. <laughs> so you'd follow up, and what would they say? They were less uh, less critical and more just constructive and just kind of, you know, I think on those first ride-alongs, a lot of preceptors are, are they don't really have any expectations going into it in mm-hmm. regard to what they're looking for from their students. They really just want their students to kind of have that exposure and for them to kind of see how the crew operates, um, how calls are run, and then they can take that into their, their next ride-alongs or their, or their you know future schooling and use mm-hmm. that to, to their benefit and then kind of get more into the nitty-gritty. So they weren't, they weren't too critical of anything that I was doing. It's kind of like a field trip for your first kind of view of the profession. And that's why I wanted to do this episode because I think it can be tone setting too. Yeah. And by that, I mean, let's say that medic was, you know, the things that we don't want in a medic, things like they're sloppy or they're just careless or unkind to patients, like all right. those things that we just know objectively are not our goal. I think that could turn someone off that has all these high hopes about being part of something really awesome. Yeah. Definitely. How are they in that regard? And obviously you're anonymous and they're anonymous to me. I don't know who they are. So you can speak freely. Did they seem like you're like, cool, I could be that. And maybe you didn't have the goal of being that uh, as far as being an EMT or a paramedic. When I went into this experience, I was not thinking that I would ever become an EMT. Right. I was never really considering this as a profession. When I saw that lead paramedic take control after the call, Watching them actually perform the duties of, of CPR and going through the ACLS algorithm and everything was was interesting, but that emotional component of communicating with the family afterward and consoling them and, and making those phone calls to the son and daughter of the gentleman who had just passed, that's really what kind of grabbed me and made me wonder, hey, am I capable of doing those things? Could I take on that role and succeed in that role? Because I was always a pretty shy person. I didn't have the best communication skills, and that was just really appealing to me. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it was a positive experience, um, and it definitely made me look further into the field. It's almost like you looked at that and you're like, do I have what that's made of? Yeah, exactly. I had the same thoughts about getting into the profession. I'm like, that feels like the ultimate challenge for a human right? to be able yeah. to balance all of these technical, the physical realm, intellectual, emotional Mm-hmm. kind of spheres all at once. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's always been the thing that has attracted me to this field. You have so many responsibilities and so many responsibilities at the same time mm-hmm. uh, that you have to manage and navigate. The ability to do that I think is invaluable. And yes. in your opinion, she she balanced all of yeah. it from your perspective as almost an outsider at that point. Yeah. And I don't think that she felt like that in the moment because I, you know, I know that that call hit her pretty hard and I don't think I knew that it hit her hard until a couple years into my career. And I was reflecting back on that experience, um, and realizing, Hey, she did go and talk with a supervisor for, you know, quite a bit of time. And she was, you know, probably struggling with that call and, and the outcome. But to me in that moment, yeah, she did everything she needed to do and she did it professionally and, uh, empathetically. 
How was their presentation as far as their uniform and everything? Does anything stand out? Do you remember? Clean. I believe she was ex-military, very professional. She didn't joke around a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I definitely remember that they both appeared just very clean, very professional, hmm. put together. Tell me about the EMT. What was he like? He was a little bit more approachable, for sure. He was. He just seemed like someone that was easy to talk to. Uh, I wasn't as intimidated by him. He took the time to kind of explain the difference between an EMT and a paramedic to me because I hadn't really learned that in this expedited EMT basic course. It was like talking to a friend. And what made him more approachable? Just that he was, and I'm trying to be like real detailed here, was it eye contact? Was it smiling? Was it he started conversations? Was it that his body seemed relaxed? In what way is he more approachable than she was? Probably all of the above. And he he took the time to ask me questions. He was just much more engaging, uh, where she seemed a little bit more distant and closed off, Mm -hmm. which might be her military background. It might be that it was her first day as a lead as a lead paramedic, and she had her own thoughts and worries in the back of her mind. Yeah. I wonder if they had a conversation between the two of them, like, hey, EMT student, like you're the EMT. Can you take that right. off of me today? That's certainly possible. Did they tell you anything hard? Like, or any like hard correction? I think you said no. It was pretty constructive. Yeah, it was mostly constructive. I remember one time during the cardiac arrest, one of the firefighters looked at me and said, hey, go to the truck, grab this piece of equipment. And I knew, I mean, I didn't even get to see the back of the ambulance at, you know, at this point in the shift. And I've never seen the back of an ambulance. (laughs) Um, So I ran back there, my heart beating probably 200 beats a minute, just nervous that I was going to screw something up, anything up. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting to the back of the ambulance and looking around and thinking, I don't even know what this piece of equipment is. I, I honestly, he told me what it was, but it was something I was unfamiliar with. It was probably a, you know, an ALS tool that I just hadn't been taught yet. So I looked around for about five seconds and then ran back. And I I think the in-charge paramedic basically saw my face and said, hey, guys, he's new. Can someone else run back and and grab that for me? So, you know, even something like that, I just felt like such a failure in that moment. Mm -hmm. But she did a good job of of kind of taking that that pressure off of me. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. No, she was she was great. I had the same thing happen to me. Somebody told me to go grab suction before yeah, I knew anything. Yeah. And I looked at the wall suction and I was like, how do, <laughs> how would I get that? <laughs> that would be pretty funny if you just pulled the entire unit out and came back with. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, in that, you know, in that point in your career, when you're a student, you just want to do everything you can to not fail and to impress the crew that you're riding with. And, and that's a I think tough... it should be the, be the reverse. I think we should be trying to impress new people that they want to come be I, a part of this profession. I agree. I absolutely agree with that. But that is not the mindset of most people. Unfortunately, no. Students and preceptors. Yeah. I think there are some really great preceptors that do a great job of that, but I think there needs to be more. Because we need good people. I have theories about ride-alongs that I think that they're a lot more, those first ones are a lot more important than we even realize and that we may be losing good people and they don't tell us they just kind of vanish because i know for sure some students have left our program after a couple of their first rides Mm -hmm. and the interpretation is oh well they saw the they saw the um profession realize they're not they're not cut out for it right right i think they may be seeing things that conflict with their own values the absence of kindness and things like that and realizing like, oh, these aren't my people. Yeah. And I, unfortunately, I think that's all it takes sometimes is just one bad experience, one bad conversation with a preceptor who isn't passionate about precepting or mm-hmm. sharing their, their experiences or, um, inviting toward that student. 
And yeah, I think that that is all it takes in some cases. And I'm not critical of them because you think about the paramedic on your shift, right? Right. Look what all she had on her plate. And so what if the EMT just didn't have good social skills and wasn't approachable? Now imagine that shift. Maybe he's just quieter. Maybe he's going through a divorce or maybe, maybe, maybe like all these things. And he's just um, removed also. Right. Think about how isolated you would have felt. To be honest, I still felt isolated when I when I got home. I I, I didn't know how to to kind of break down what I had just experienced, and, and at that point, I had nobody to talk to. Now, you know, I have a whole network of people I can reach out to, and partners I can debrief with, and supervisors I can reach out to, and mentors in the field. But as a student, early on, you don't have that net of resources for you, which can be really difficult. And you have no frame of reference. You don't know what's normal, what's not normal. Exactly. Yeah. I had no idea how to how to break down what I was feeling and if what I was feeling was normal or if I should have just closed all of that off or or what. So we haven't really tackled it yet. We're kind of dancing around it. Can you talk about kind of how you got what I think Dr. Antevi talks a lot about closure? Mm-hmm. How did you, really I should say, did you? And if you did, how did you get closure about that call? You know, I think it took a lot of time. I remember driving home and just thinking about how excited I was going into that shift and how defeated I felt afterward. I knew I was going to have to face my, I was living with my parents at the time I just graduated, or I think it was the summer in between semesters. I didn't know how to communicate with them. I knew that they were going to have a lot of questions for me when I got home about how my shift went, what my experience was. And I had zero idea of how to divulge any of that information to them. Basically, I I got home and I shut down and I was quiet. I think I went straight to bed. I remember my sister's high school graduation was that day. So I had to be in attendance for that. But I I still have pictures to this day of us at that graduation. And you can see my face and it was completely withdrawn. Like I said, it was that paramedic and her communication with family that really drove me to keep going and just explore a little bit deeper. Um, to decide whether this was really for me or not. Um, I wonder if her helping the family process helped you process. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, observing that. Yeah, that's certainly possible. Once I started working in the field, I found a select few of mentors uh, that I was able to reach out to after similar calls. And I think just through exposure and repetition, I was finally able to, to cope with calls like that. Do you still know her, the paramedic? No, I, I haven't seen her since that day. Huh. Isn't that amazing to go through something with someone like that and then never see him again? Yeah. Right. It would be interesting to kind of go back and find her and have a, you know, have a conversation with her and at least let her know that, you know, how, how profound that experience was for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be an interesting conversation to have. And the simple act of her saying, yeah, sorry guys, like he's new, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. She could have made a face or mm-hmm. ignored it altogether or not managed it and just left you out there hanging on yeah. your own. It's so simple and it's yeah. so tiny. But I think, I think those little tiny moments are freaking like super important. I think we need to almost think of brand new students as almost like innocent bystanders. Like we need to take real good care with them. Sometimes the mindset is like, oh, well, if they can't hack it, they can't hack it. Like they're not cut out for this. And I think most people aren't cut out for that type of, I think most people aren't prepared. Yeah, they don't have an innate ability to handle that stuff. That's, no, that's for, or nothing in their life has prepared them for right. that. Right, yeah. 
yeah, I certainly did not have the, uh, the mentality or their personality that was ready to experience any of those things and, and be able to handle them perfectly. It took a lot of practice. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say that paramedics are a special breed. I, I don't, I don't believe that. I think, I think you learn how to cope and you learn how to handle those situations over time mm -hmm. and practice. I do think they're a special breed in the sense that you saw something that looked really, really hard and you're like, mm, I wonder if I can learn how to do that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They, I think rise to the, rise to the challenge, that push that challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I was definitely attracted to the fear. Yeah. Attracted to the hard. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I hadn't done much hard prior to EMS. I hadn't no, done many hard no, things. Me neither. I had a pretty, pretty easy, easy childhood yeah. and business school has its challenges, but no one's dying. Right. I mean, so I don't think you, you said on recording, I don't think you said what the hell you were doing in that EMT class. It was just, uh, why were you so, doing that? <laughs> <laughs> so I was studying business, business at the time. I had a concentration in marketing. I had done a couple business internships up until that point, And I had one semester left before I graduated. And during that summer, I was trying to think of what I could do that would be beneficial uh, before I entered the workforce. And I saw that there was a 20-day EMT basic course, and I thought, that sounds cool. So I signed huh. up. Huh. Never heard anybody tell a story like that. Yeah. I never in a million years thought that that would be my career or something that I would transition into. Were you thinking like, oh, this would just make me handy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I always thought it would be cool to be the type of person that could see an emergency unfold or see something bad happen and be able to be the voice of reason and be the one who has that calm demeanor and knows how to handle the situation to the best of their abilities. So yeah, I just thought it would be interesting to have those that, you know, that skill set. You know what's crazy is I just came from talking to another medic about his, the first ride out he remembers and his had a cardiac arrest too. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a way to, to jump in head first. The very first call I went on, on any ride out, EMT, was a, a pediatric seizure. It turned out to be a febrile seizure. And these medics were amazing with yeah. the kid, with the family, with explaining to me what had happened after the fact they explained it. I got a really good crew for my first ride out. That's that's awesome. That I'm, makes all I'm the difference. i for that. Yeah. I think it might make a lot of difference. Like, what if I had gone and they were just jerks? Yeah. I don't know. I Probably. might not have stuck it out. Yeah. I could almost promise you because I wasn't even thinking of this as a, as a career in the first place that if that crew was rude to me or, or not inviting, mm -hmm. um, it, it would have definitely changed the course of my career. That's heavy, huh? Yeah. yeah. It's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, it is. Because the student is so vulnerable because they're really entering a foreign land. It's not like going to do a, an internship at an office. They've been in offices before. Exactly. They've never been in an ambulance or on people's homes like this before. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is a unique field on that first call. I think, I think the moment that my eyes really widened to, uh, what was going on and that transition from this is really cool to this is real life was when I walked through that door and I saw the scene kind of unfolding of that cardiac arrest. As I stepped foot in the door, the firefighters yelled clear and hit shock. And I remember, you know, vomitus basically exiting the patient's mouth and it landed on my brand new shiny boots. And That's I looked down and that was, That's a visual. that was an instant transition of this is, you know, this is real. This is yep. a person. 
And now our last guest. It was similar to most places in Oregon. The privates tend to have a one central ambulance barn. Right. And it's all system status. Okay. I had no idea what the protocol was for how early to get there or exactly what my role was going to be or anything like that. I was really excited, but I was also terrified. So did you know what time to get there? They gave me the address of where to go. And because I don't like to be late, I usually, you know, I left. And so I think I was sitting out in the parking lot for like 20 minutes waiting until it wasn't as early to go inside. Uh, And then went into the building, you know, introduced myself to the receptionist and they brought me back to the break room area. I was sitting there waiting because neither of the crew members were there yet. Um, I think that my instructor specifically was like, I want you to ride with this crew. But I remember I was sitting in the break room and kind of different crews were coming in and out. Actually, the first employee that I met that worked on a truck, she walked in and she had her arm in a sling and she was super, her face still had a bunch of bruising and obvious injuries. And she had been involved when the the partner like hit the brakes and it threw her forward into the ambulance. And so she was off for an extended time because of that. And so that was one of my first impressions. I remember walking in was being in shock of this, you know, battered person. Yeah. And so that was something that I hadn't even thought about as a potential issue was, mm-hmm. you know, getting hurt because of an accident. Yeah. So she kind of talked with me for a few minutes until the crew got there. And then I think the EMT basic partner got there first. Um, I don't remember the names of either of them. I remember that, you know, he had darker hair and was a little bit heavier set. And the woman that he worked with was very petite. She was really short. She was a real strong, great role model of a personality. I was really impressed with her. Like what specifically? She was very calming. Even though she was so tiny, she had a really big presence. Mm. And you kind of immediately knew you're going to listen to her and what she says goes. Mm. I wonder how long she had been doing it. I believe she said that she was one of the longer employed people. And I want to say that she had been doing it for like 15 or 20 years. So you were impressed by her? I was, very much so. And Was she what you had hoped she would be? I remember that they looked, I'm going to, for lack of a better, I'm going to say put together. You know, their uniforms were clean. They wore white shirts there. Their boots were zipped up. Their pants were down over their boots. I've, I feel like sometimes the, the very first place I got hired, the crew that I rode out with was not tucked in. The boots were undone. There just wasn't that pride in their appearance. And the crew that I rode with seemed to really take that pride in looking the part. I don't know if I necessarily had a true vision in mind of what somebody should look like. So I was just so excited and nervous and like, what are they going to ask me to do? We got the equipment, got on the truck and then got logged in. And then they kind of started showing me like we went through a truck checkout and they showed me where different things were and, you know, the importance of like wearing your seatbelt. And when they're showing you all this stuff, did you know what it all was? Um, I knew some things, but there were definitely some equipment items that I wasn't as familiar with. For example, I knew that there was intubation equipment, but I couldn't have told you like this is a Mac versus a Miller or something like that because I just hadn't had that experience up to that point. But because of all the exposure from your family, Mm -hmm. you knew a lot going into this, more than the average person. I think so. Even though, you know, most of the time when people go through their EMT basic, they get a chance to do a ride along or a ride out. And I had done just 
emergency room time. I do. I, I think that I had a different level of comfort because I do. My dad picked up the first the first brand new ambulance that we ever had. And so like I remember like riding around with him as he was taking it to show the different people once he first brought it back from the big city where he yeah. picked it up. And I remember just like playing in the back of it as a kid when oh they would gosh. have their meetings and trainings and stuff because I would go yeah. and hang out with dad. Mm. And so, so you know how like really to be it. back there, like how mm-hmm. the cabinets worked and you just kind of understood the flow. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, it's like a playground for you. Yeah, it was a place that I don't ever remember seeing for the first time. And my oh. initial experiences with it all had been really positive things because it was with my dad and kind of my extended family because it was such a small town that everybody was family. So, yeah, I definitely I didn't have any bad connotations or scary connotations of something unfortunate having happened to be there. It was all positive. Yeah. What a neat way to start. I don't think I've ever thought about it that way before, but it's a very different introduction to things. (laughs) Well, it's fresh on my mind because I've asked two other medics the same question about Mm -hmm. their first ride out. And I've already talked to them. And both of them said, yeah, like the medics told me a bunch of stuff about this is this and this and this. Mm -hmm. But it all just just like went over my head because I didn't even know what they were saying. I do remember like that was the first time I learned about paralytics. I was like, you do what? (laughs) So she took the time to tell you. Definitely. And that was actually that was overall probably one of the best things that I could take about it is that the both of them were super excited about the fact that I was there and interested and they were incredible hosts and real introductions to what it was like to be in the field and I make a really conscious decision when I get writers I want them to have that same sense of excitement and the fact that the crew that they're there with is excited that they're there and is passionate about what they do. And I think I've really kind of carried that introduction that they gave me through my experiences with students and observers, people who are even just like, I don't know if this is something I want to do, but I think it might be. I could be wrong, but I think that I do have that reputation of being really good with students and mm-hmm. and things. And I love... No, you do. You, you have that reputation more than anyone I know, in fact. Wow, that's yeah, that's incredibly nice. <laughs> it's actually really, really true. And why I wanted to talk to you because I'm like, oh well, she's so great. I wonder what that first exposure was like for you, because you have such a high standard for yourself. Mm. I wondered if you would look back and be like, ugh, that wasn't as good as it could have been. And I hope you'll speak freely and honestly about it. Were there parts of the day that you're like, ugh, I wish they had done that differently, or would would you change anything about that first ride? That first ride, I really don't think so. They let me, I have no problem talking in general in my life. Uh And they let me just like go through and ask the bajillion questions that I had about everything. And, you know, well, why did you do it this way? What about this? And they were so patient and managed to even seem excited that I was asking those questions. Like they didn't seem annoyed or frustrated. And we worked a 12 hour shift, I think. And then, like I said, I was back for a couple of days with them. And each time I came back, I would have more questions about what we had done the day before or why something had been this way or something like that. And they were just so patient and welcoming and really encouraging me to like, even though I was there in like an observer capacity, they're like, if you have a question about something that you feel like maybe we haven't asked yet in the store, you know, when we're getting a history from somebody or something like, go ahead and pipe it up and ask. And the fact that they were willing to let me do that, that was super exciting. They um, definitely didn't make you feel like you didn't need to be excited. Like they definitely were cool with you being excited. And you also said they themselves were excited. You could really tell that they 
loved what they did. I think one of the things, too, that stuck with me so much was actually the basic partner. He made a point at one point when the lead paramedic was giving patient report and he and I were putting the truck back together or something like that. He really made a point to say how lucky he was to be working with his partner and what a great clinician she was, but also how much he respected the way that she interacted with patients. And she didn't bring any kind of ego or anything like that into her approach with patients. Mm -hmm. And he said that that was something that sometimes he had to be more conscious of. And she just seemed to do that very simply of, you know, not getting personally involved to the point where her ego did. Amazing. He had so much humility. Yeah. He spoke so highly of her and, you know, really, to me, showed how well respected you could be doing things in a way that was natural for you and your personality and not having to, like, turn into the biggest, loudest voice on scene. And I remember we did have a couple critical calls and I don't remember details about them, but I do remember that, you know, she didn't raise her voice, and but people still listened to her, and she was still very much the person that was in charge, even though I think she was all of, like, five foot two or something. She was super tiny. I wanted to ask you more about her. So you don't know who she is or where she is? I don't. It sounds like your, your teacher mm-hmm. specifically put you with her. Yeah. Um, he had worked with the, that company as his kind of part-time thing, because full-time was teaching. He did. He specifically said, this is the crew I want you to ride with. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's smart, because some preceptors are just more into having students than others. A hundred percent So we should just play to that. If you're not into it, ideally, you could kind of opt out, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would hope so. And it's an exhausting job, and I definitely have had students that have come and ridden with me, and I always ask, like, have you done any rideouts before, or is this your first one? I've had some that have said, you know, no, this is my, you know, my first one, or second one, or third. And I was like, okay, well, what did you learn on some of your other ones, or what did you do? And they're like, well, they really didn't have me do much. Right. I was like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be a little bit different today. Like, here are some of my expectations. Let's go through the truck. Let's get your hands on on things. I want people to have a good time. And I know that I was that, to some people, super annoying, excited, just like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing ever. And, you know, everybody has days where it's a rough day or a hard time in personal life, professional life. And it's hard to have to, because it is, it's a lot more energy when you have a student and going through, and especially if you're really, you know, answering all those questions and really actively. And I forget that sometimes until like maybe they've gone home because they're only there for the first 12 hours. And then like I'm sitting in the front of the truck and I'm like, oh, like I can take a deep breath. I don't have to verbalize all of the things that I'm thinking in my head so that they know what it is that I'm doing and why and kind of get thinking in that mindset themselves, but doing it in a way that my patient doesn't know that that's what I'm doing. Right. I'm exhausted after precepting people at the ER and I'm I'm not, we're not directly responsible for any patient's care. Yeah. Right. We're just doing what we want. So to have both of those roles being responsible for the outcome of the patient's Mm -hmm. experience and the learner's experience, that is a tremendous job. It's such a unique job. And I think I'm in a really special place to get to like introduce other people to that. Mm-hmm. Thinking back to this, it's, it was 16 years ago that I did my first like observer ride, like right before I started paramedic school. And it is insane to me to think that I've been doing this for that long. Cause still in a lot of ways, I'm like, I'm still new to this thing. Like, I, don't look at me. I don't know how I'm supposed to know this. And then I'm like, oh wait, I'm a pretty tenured person. I'm really supposed to know this now. Um, 
I remember how much it meant to me that they were so excited. And I want to give that same grace and joy to other people. And that's really important to me. It shows. Well, thank you. It sounds like you guys had downtime between calls on that shift. Well, I I wouldn't necessarily call it downtime because it was system status. It was driving from one post to another. Mm-hmm. I think we did make it to an, a couple actual station, like stations where it was like an apartment or an office building where we had like a place where we could go and sit and there was like a microwave and a bathroom and some chairs. But a lot of it was also like just sitting in the back of the ambulance, you know, asking them questions as we were driving from one place to the next. So you were back there by yourself on a headset? Uh, I don't think I had a headset because it went to the front. I think the first time I ever experienced a headset was when I was doing my paramedic internship where I work now. So are you talking through the little window? Yeah. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. That's a cute visual. Yeah. And so it was, and I, I think we could actually pivot the chair so that I wasn't, I wasn't facing forwards, but I was at least sideways so that I could lean up and have those conversations. And actually, no, now that I'm thinking back of it, this, it wasn't just the little window. It was like one of the bigger, like probably like two and a half or three foot tall cutouts up to the front. So it was a, it was definitely a a bigger one. So it was a little bit easier to talk. It's a cuter image to imagine your little head pop through that tiny little window. (laughs) Hey guys, I got another question. What about this? Yeah, that would have been me for sure. Do you remember the details of any of the calls or the nature of the calls or how they performed on the call or how you thought you performed? The biggest thing I remember is them, just their patience and answering all of my questions. And the questions came after the calls or during the calls or both? Um, I think I definitely had some questions like on the way to like our first post or first call where I was like, you know, what do you want me to do in this case? It was a lot of like, what is my role and things like that? Or what do you expect of me? I feel like I was probably pretty, I think I was pretty quiet during the actual calls, at least that first day, because I didn't know, I didn't know what I didn't know, and everything was new and shiny and exciting and terrifying. But I think by the second or third day, I do remember, because I do remember them saying that I could ask questions if there was something that I was curious about that the patient hadn't answered yet. So I do feel like I piped up a little bit more in interactions with patients after that. And um I remember being really excited when on the last one they kind of were like, oh, yeah, this is another one of our crew members, you know. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, they like me, like, you know. And and they had some nice feedback for me, which even just as an observer, but being so new to it was really exciting and encouraging. So they gave you reassuring feedback? Very much. Like Mm -hmm. broad stroke stuff, like you're going to be a good fit or like detailed stuff? Some very broad stroke things, but also... um, I remember them saying that they were impressed with my questions for me having as little hands-on experience. Mm-hmm. They were impressed with the questions that I had for them after calls and kind of asking about some of the reasons why they chose to do things in certain orders or things like that. Do you remember leaving? I don't remember leaving my first shift. I don't remember leaving, but I remember driving back from the shift because it was on a a pretty major highway in the area. And so it was like freeway driving for basically like 20 minutes to get from where the ambulance barn was to where I was staying. I was over the moon excited and just so pumped up and just I couldn't stop talking about it and couldn't wait to get home. And the people I was living with at the time were kind of like my second parents. And they were so excited like they had stayed awake because I got off pretty late until I got home so that I could like talk about what had happened and I was just giddy with excitement Hmm. I'm going to do a theoretical with you it may be hard maybe hard to visualize but 
What if at the very beginning they were like, look, we're, we're on our overtime shift. We're tired. Just you can watch and you can be near us. But really, like, we need quiet. It would have been terrible for me. After I went through paramedic school, I got hired at another private company up in that area. They required that you did like three or four shifts where you were just an observer and they give you to any crew. And the crew that I got was shirts untucked, boots not zipped up. They didn't want to answer any of my questions. And they told me, they're like, you talk too much. I don't want to answer your questions. And I was like, but they told me to ask. And they're like, I don't care. Like, I don't. And it was a very different experience. And what if that had been your first one? That would have been devastating. Because for some of my students, it is their first one. Yeah. And I, one that they have. And that's why I try so hard, even if I'm having a terrible day and I got called in on overtime and I'm so tired and I've got drama going on in my personal life, I still try so hard to make sure that that person has a good shift because who knows who they might end up being down the road and what an amazing career they could have had. But they had this terrible interaction and it was demoralizing enough that they're like, I don't want to do this. They're grumpy people. I'll be, you know, I don't want to be that person five, you know, however far down the road or just have them internalize that they weren't good enough or any of that. I don't I don't want that to be the case because this is a really cool career and we're still really young and we still really need cool people who are passionate about it to get into it. And I do think that it's so unique in what we get to do that having somebody show that excitement and encouragement, especially early on, is important. That's probably one of the most important things to me in my job is trying to show how lucky we are in what we do. And so if it's somebody new to it, no matter how grumpy or tired, whatever I am, I still try really hard. I might not be as on point that day, <laughs> but I, I still try really hard. Lucky we are to do what we do, meaning in EMS, like you're, you're talking about gratitude. I am. And Gratitude in general is really important to me, and it's something that I try really hard to live in all aspects of my life. But I really think that to a large extent, you choose how you want to respond to something, and I try to respond with grace and gratitude and joy in whatever interactions I'm having. And I think especially because our work can be so hard that to keep my resilience up, that's a big part of it is that I, I work really hard to have that response to things rather than going to the negative. Yeah. Who did you bond with more, the EMT or the paramedic? Um, I feel like I had more interactions with the EMT just because we had more ALS patients that day. And so she had to do a lot more charting. He and I would be like putting the truck back together, you know, some of those kind of things while she was maybe kind of doing a little bit more charting. Mm -hmm. I do feel like at some point in time, I, I do feel like it was just her and I. And we we kind of talked a little bit about some of the experience of being like a woman in a male dominated field wow. and that she was encouraging to me in that mm. and said, you know, and that was something, too, that I was really impressed that her partner said to me was how much he respected her and that she really showed that, you know, anybody could do that job and there wasn't a gender difference or anything like that. And I thought it was also really cool because this was like back in what, like 2004. Yeah. And so, I mean, to it, be explicitly talking about. Yeah. That. To say that I thought was really cool. Um, that was cool. Yeah. And I think, too, and this is just an assumption on my part, but I think that that was probably part of why my pre my instructor chose that crew as well was because it was a female paramedic. I kind of suspected the yeah. same. Yeah. It was fun to think back because mm -hmm. I hadn't thought about that 
those two people in years. And it was nice to think back and kind of think about some of the things that they did that are still things that I make an active choice to try to mirror. During the episode, you heard me mention the paramedic who took such good care with me on my first ride along. This episode is dedicated to him. His name was Randy Trinkle. 